say something. Never Love mind. Talk radio. We'll flood it. Fontaine and Dr. Jean Cirillo will be joining us shortly, and we're here to answer all your questions on love, life, career, and whatever is on your mind. So give us a call at 646-381-4141. Later in the show tonight, you'll be meeting Allison Stillman. She's a leading authority on anointing, and you'll be learning all about what that is and the sacred anointing ceremonies that Allison performs so stay tuned. It is very interesting. This is definitely going to be an interesting show tonight. And later in the show, Dr. Jean Cirillo and I will be taking your calls live here on the air. So we want to hear from you. The switchboard is open, so give us a call at 646-381-4141. With Lady Fontaine. Yeah. Uh, in the past week, there have been uh, several different... Um, well, I guess conundrums that have come up in past conversations about psychics and how psychics use their powers, uh, for lack of a better term, you can say powers, I guess, mm-hmm. um, but really less in the particulars of it and more the philosophy. Being as it's such a uh, small uh, segment of society, there is no real set guidelines, as I understand it, as me, as someone who, who, who's outside of that understands. Is there a particular code that you would use, say, like a law or, or a, like I was saying, a guideline, if, say, you had a reading and you were unsure if you should tell this person, if you have bad information, information that you find that might be detrimental to the person? What, what, what's your guidance on that? Well, that's really a good question, Frank. And um, first of all, to answer your question, there, there really is no defined um, you know, like code of ethics or rules or guidelines for psychics. I mean, you know, either um, each person individually has their own or certain org- organizations. Like I um, have been certified by the International Certification of Psychics, and they have a code of ethics, and it is posted on their website, and it's pretty extensive. But it doesn't really um, explain or handle what the, really the question you just asked me, which is, what do you do if you're picking up, you know, some uh, negative information or something, um, you know, that you want to convey to a caller, but you, um, you know, are hesitant in some way, shape, or form? And it's it's interesting because I recently had um, a situation like that that um, oh. I actually opted not to say anything. And the irony is, then the um, the person said something to me, and the reason why it was. Um, you know, it was it was something to do with their sexuality, and I actually picked it up, and they were asking me about um, a same-sex um, person, and immediately I got the feel that it was um, a romantic kind of situation, um, but I 
I was hesitant to say anything. You know, what if you know, what if I'm wrong and it wasn't, and I didn't want to really offend the person. But then, towards the you know uh, middle of the reading or so, she did disclose to me that it was indeed a, um, a romantic situation. So sometimes you have to use your your best judgment. You know, I I was sort of you know. Uh, beating myself up for that one because I know when I get information it's 99% of the time correct and you know it probably would have been um, you know uh, a valuable piece of information but how do you say that you know especially if it was just a good friend of hers and I'm picking up that this friend wanted a heck of a lot more than just friendship well following that do you find that say the same people asking you these questions that you're picking up on some very large, uh, weighty answers, right? answers that would greatly affect their lives, uh, say, in this instance, if, if the woman was not ready to come out, etc. Do you find that they might actually be testing you to see if you pick up on something that large? Um, I, I have a lot of people who test me, you know, I, and, and I know because I'll hear them say, oh, okay, that's great, and then they get into, um, you know, some, some more specific questions. Um, you know, for me as a psychic, that's an immediate turnoff, and I'm not as focused. You know, I just, you know, I, you know, I can understand why people do that, but yeah. you know, I, I and it, it surprises me that people do because they're paying for my services. Mm-hmm. You know, so you would think that why bother even coming to me if they didn't have a certain level of, um, you know, trust that I'm going to be able to give them a good reading. So, um, you know, it's 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 like walking a fine line. I mean, you had said earlier, what do you do when somebody, um, you know, if I'm picking up something that might be negative on on somebody. Yeah. And that kind of thing, I feel it's important to convey, but in a positive way. You know, um, if I'm feeling there's going to be a problem with somebody's, you know, car or, you know, that I said somebody some, something to somebody the other day about go see a dentist. I just had a feeling that there was a problem brewing. And you know, let's 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 be proactive rather than end up with a problem. Okay. Well, I mean, first of all, as far as the testing thing, I mean, I understand from your point of view, it's a huge turnoff because ninety percent of what you're doing is based on trust. Mm-hmm. And if the person doesn't trust you, how are you supposed to read that energy and so on and so forth? From the other side, I can understand if I'm going to buy a car, it doesn't matter how great the reviews are, I still want to test drive it first. Mm -hmm. So there is that, I mean, there's the human impulse to want to confirm things, Mm -hmm. to want to be sure that you have all the information ahead of you. Of course, you don't pay for the car before you test drive it, so that is kind of ridiculous. Right, but, you know, the way I do readings, because I know that that's true, I mean, a lot of people, let's assume the question is, is Joe in love with me? So, you know, it's easy for somebody to just say yes or no. What I do when I do a reading is I start telling them about Joe. And I say, okay, well, let me tell you what I'm picking up on Joe. Um, Joe is this, he's that, um, you know, you've done this, you've done that, you've known them, known him for X amount of years or something like that. So I'm giving them all the information that I'm picking up from my guides. Um, you know, so that to me should be the selling point that, you know, you're test driving and you know I'm picking up on the right person. Yeah. And that yeah. you know that I'm, I'm, because, you know, certain things that I pick up, um, you know, it depends on who I'm reading for, but, you know, it's not just saying, oh, he's a nice person. I might say, wow, this guy, you know, is intense with his feelings. I mean, somebody today, I said, wow, this is, this person, um, you know, uh, jumps very quickly to conclusions with things, then thinks about things, and then will 
get back to you and say, okay, I thought about it and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the person said that's exactly right. And that's not something that's typical of everybody. Well, you, you touched on something that does sound that, that sounds interesting that I was wondering personally about the guides, about things that you pick up, names that you not just yes or no, right or wrong. Uh, and I'm not giving anything away. This is something that you've talked about before on the on the air. You have guides that mm-hmm. do communicate with you in whatever way it is that they are communicating with you. Mm-hmm. So you are hyper aware of how they affect the world. Is there a way? And your particular brand of what you do, that you can affect the world, that you can make things happen. Like, if you get so angry, a glass breaks, or, I mean, for, for that, that's, that's the only example that I want to give right now, but uh, can, can you change the environment as well as reading it through this method? Right. Yeah. Sounds like telekinesis. Hi, it's, Dr. Cirillo exactly. on the line. Yeah. Sounds Hi, like um, telekinesis. How are you? Hi. That's exactly um, what it what it does sound like. And I don't know if you remember, but quite a few months ago, we had my friend Jim Elkin on, and we were talking about a house in New Jersey that um, was extremely um, active. And I, we were doing a, um, a sort of a, a modified kind of seance at this particular house, and while we were doing it, the tape recorder moved across the top of the the table, and I remember saying to them, "Oh, don't worry about it. That was me, because I was going through an extreme emotion, and I felt myself releasing that emotion. And when I did, that tape recorder flew across the, um, you know, across the table. And there's been other instances where." I have certain experiences, like I've, I've woken up in the middle of the night and I'll look at my clock. <laughs> this was really spooky. And it said help. You know, it was the, the uh, I don't know, the digital kind, and instead of saying like yeah. 304 or something, it said help. And I'm like... Maybe you just saw it that way. Like, uh, I, honestly, Jean, I, I was blinking my eyes. I was, you know, wake, I was sitting up and I'm looking away and I'm looking back and I'm looking away and I'm looking back. And I got out, I left the room and then when I came back, it had a normal time on it. But when I was talking to my friend Jim about it, he said he felt that I created that, that it wasn't that, you know, it just, you know, somehow you know, typed out the words or, or displayed the words help, um, that I was working on a case that was very intense and I was very focused on it. I know from your standpoint, Dr. Cirillo, you're going to feel that I just thought that I saw it, but I know I did see it. And it really scared the crap out of me. It really, truly did. But he, he for one, feels that I created that. Mm-hmm. So for to answer your question, Frank, um, yes, I can affect and change the environment. I think that uh, we should have a future show, Lady Fontaine, where we do a little bit more of an in-depth interview with you because I think a lot of your listeners will be really interested to hear about your history and about a, a lot of other things that have to do with your readings. Uh, how do you feel about that? I think that's a great idea, and maybe we'll schedule that in the next couple of weeks. That would be great. But tonight, right. tonight, phone lines are open. So please call 646-381-4141 to speak with Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo. They are here to answer all your questions. So call 646-381-4141 to get expert advice on all that troubles you. And remember, if you don't get on the air tonight, 
please send us your question at mailbag at ladyfontaine.com. Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo will be selecting a few questions each week to answer live on each show. And now it's time for our Sky McKenna Skywatch Report. Remember to visit Sky at her website at skymckenna.com for more details about her or to read the weekly report on her website. Hello, everybody. This is Sky McKenna with my weekly Skywatch Energy Report. This is a review of the energies for the upcoming week, and if you miss any of this, you can re-listen each week in the archives on AchieveRadio.com, or you can go to my new website, SkyMcKenna.com, and click the link near the top of the page. You can also read the energy report on my new blog. There's a link at the top of my website for that, too. Also, my new book, Astrology in You 2010, is available on my website or on Amazon.com now. It's for the whole year and covers everything from astrology basics to major aspects, sign changes, world astrology, and there's a forecast for each sign for all of the upcoming Mercury retrograde periods and all of the eclipses. There are several. I'm told it's very useful, informative, and an easy read. And if you buy it from my website, I'll send you an autographed copy, a free birth chart, so you can follow along with the aspects if you'd like and learn more about astrology. And you'll also get free shipping if you buy it from my website. All the information is there on my website, skymckenna.com. So, we've got the wind in our backs. We're still holding on to our hats. Here's the week ahead in eight minutes or less, and this then is for the week beginning Sunday. July 18th, 2010. Well, this week we're officially in one of the most anticipated energy patterns of our lifetimes. The infamous Grand Cardinal Cross is an ignition sequence as of this week. Its launch officially commences with Saturn entering Libra and a Jupiter-Pluto square that takes place this week. And this week we're also looking at the asteroid Chiron, also known as the Wounded Healer, backing up into Aquarius. And if that's not enough energy for you, There's also a full moon in Dazzling Leo next weekend. Now on Tuesday, July 20th, the asteroid Chiron moves from Pisces back into Aquarius for nearly 10 months. So we should be on the lookout for unconventional approaches, unconventional insights, and a seat-of-your-pants approach to healing whatever in us needs to be healed. And also unique abilities and talents we didn't even know we had to be unfolding. We may also find healings within our circle of friends or our hopes, wishes, and dreams. And this is the last time Chiron will be in Aquarius for almost 50 years. So we have until next February when he returns to Pisces for good to welcome these Aquarian changes. And this week, the Cardinal Cross energy officially takes off on Wednesday, July 21st, when Saturn enters Libra. This is where he'll remain until October 5th of 2012. And for individuals who've been wishing and hoping for a new significant relationship or improvements in the one they've got, this is great news. During these two years, we'll actually be connecting with and achieving relationships we've only dreamt of. And actually, this could also apply to business partnerships, because relationships of all kinds will be up for new understanding and commitment. We can probably also look for a recalibration of the legal system over the next couple of years, especially regarding the legal definition of marriage, so watch for that. And Saturn's move into Libra also marks the arrival of that infamous T-square made up of Saturn, Jupiter, and Uranus, all squaring Pluto. This is what a lot of us have been sensing building up over these last few months. This energy is especially powerful now through August 12th and will be with us and still very potent through September 21st or so. And since all of these planets are in the cardinal signs of dynamic movement, change, and new beginnings, we'll finally be looking nose-to-nose at that infamous Grand Cardinal Cross. For all of us, what that means is that once and for all, we're going to be called to release anything and everything that no longer serves us. Old ways of being won't be working for us anyway, and to maneuver fruitfully through this wild energy of change, we should all be tuning in to our inner voice. 
and listening to what our next step should be and then taking it. This energy is all about transformation and we will transform. Look around, it's already happening. So line your little ducks up, kitties. Listen within, hang on to your seatbelt, then let go and take that exciting e-ticket ride that's upon us. And then on Thursday, July 22nd, the sun will enter fiery Leo and will also form an aspect of opportunity to Saturn. This is the time of the year when we seek to express the enthusiasms that move us. The energy of Leo centers around creativity, self-expression, entertainment, fun, and our hearts. It's a time of warm hearts, drama, and yes, passion. And this too could be a passion not only for our mates, but for our creativity and our projects or causes that are dear to our hearts. And with the sun forming that poetic aspect to Saturn, we can make progress in our lives. We'll have the discipline required to put that Leo creative manifesting energy to good purpose. And we'll be able to reach some of those goals that we're passionate about. And on Friday, July 23rd, the sun will dance with Uranus and giant Jupiter will turn retrograde until November 18th. The energy of the sun and Uranus will open us to spontaneity and surprises. We may receive flashes of intuition, inspiration, and some welcome aha moments today. It can be a day of excitement and or the unexpected. So expect the unexpected today. And with Jupiter moving into retrograde motion until next fall, for the next four months, we'll be reassessing our beliefs in life. Our values and philosophies can actually reach much deeper now and surprise even us. We may also return to some studies we began previously, and we're going to find our inspiration coming from within ourselves now and not so much from external events. This is going to be an information gathering time, and we should be open to surprising new possibilities that present themselves from old situations. Also, if Jupiter is retrograde in your birth chart, you're going to feel right at home now, and you'll be blossoming. Then on Saturday, July 24th, Jupiter will square off with Pluto. Compromise and or negotiation will be required today, and for the next few days, actually. This intense dance between Jupiter and Pluto is going to last till August 3rd or so. This aspect is about extremes and fears, rational or not, and excess. So take the time to slow down and think before making irreversible decisions. You may not get a second chance. And finally, on Sunday, July 25th, we've got a full moon in expressive Leo, and we'll be able to embrace our creativity and our love. This full moon is also being aspected by the Cardinal Cross players, but they're softening ones, which can definitely help us move through and even thrive through this energy. Now this week, I want to talk about how and where each sign will be feeling Jupiter's retrograde movement, and keep in mind that this is made even more potent because he's still sitting with Uranus and he's part of the Grand Cardinal Cross. And as always, this will apply to your sun sign and rising ascendant sign if you know it. Aries, new starts and new opportunities in your personal life can be inspired from within yourself. And you might take up something that you began in the past for yourself. Taurus, let go of the past and be ready for the unexpected to reveal itself to you. Bold, exhilarating dreams, waking or sleeping, are about to expand your world. So don't fight it. Gemini, new friends or friends returning from the past can expand your inner and then outer worlds. This can be an exciting turning point for your hopes and wishes, too. So think outside the box. Cancer, your career takes center stage now. Take a look back to see if there's something there that you can use now to jumpstart your career. Leo, far-off people or places can inspire you or even reach out to you. Look within to see new possibilities and don't hesitate to look to those far-distant horizons. Think big, Virgo. Unexpected opportunities for shared resources and life-changing psychic experiences are all likely to come to you now. An issue from the past can also come back for reconsideration or resolution. Libra, you may find yourself making some new choices or rethinking old commitments or partnerships, and someone from the past may be on your mind or may even return. Scorpio, job possibilities may come to you from the past. 
and your health and daily routine can be expanded by listening within. Sagittarius, you may find yourself rethinking your love life and or creativity. It may also be time to slow things down and get serious about what you really, really want. Capricorn, your home may be your haven now, and you may also be reconsidering an issue or deciding on some next step in your family life. Go within for your inspiration. Aquarius, meditation and turning within will actually expand your world now. Let go of old, stale thinking and allow yourself to think in unusual ways. Pisces, money-making opportunities may come to you from some internal inspiration or an opportunity from the past may resurface. So keep your eyes and heart open. Well, that's a wrap for this week's edition of the Skywatch Energy Report. And remember, if you miss any of this, you can re-listen each week in the archives or visit my website, skymckenna.com, and the link is right there at the top of the page. And you'll also find a link to my new blog if you'd like to read the Energy Report. And remember, the animals still need your help. You can feed a homeless animal with just the click of the mouse. It's absolutely, positively, no questions asked free. In 2009, your clicks equaled 92 million bowls of food for homeless animals. So just go to theanimalrescuesite.com and click on the purple button that says, click here, it's free. Well, that's about it for this week. And remember, you never lose by loving, you always lose by holding back. So till next time, take good care, God bless, and namaste. Ooh, I have the chills. Finally, we're heading into this Grand Cardinal Cross. I mean, I'm holding on tight for this ride. We've been anticipating this one for I don't know how many months now. But as always, thank you, Sky, for your amazing report. And be sure to contact Sky at our website at skymckenna.com for more information and to listen to Achieve Radio to hear her weekly show on Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Last week I said Tuesdays. That was incorrect. You can hear Sky's weekly show on Achieve Radio on Mondays at 11 a.m. Sky is an amazing person and a phenomenal astrologer and so much more. Well, tonight we have a great guest. Her name is Allison Stillman. She is one of the world's authorities on anointing. In her private practice, she does these elaborate anointing ceremonies, or more definitively, aromatic rites of passage where people come and actually spend the day. People come to Allison when they're facing significant crossroads or when there's a desire for more meaningful, for a more meaningful life and a deeper connection to the divine. You could find out more about Allison by visiting her website at www.romancingthedivine.com for all the details. She's with us tonight, so Allison, welcome to our show. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you so much, Lady Fontaine. I'm really happy to be with you this evening. Thank you so much. Oh, it's our pleasure. We're excited to learn um, a lot more tonight about anointing. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? I'd be happy to. I call myself an aromatic alchemist, and I my my love, my passion in the world of essential oils and aromatherapy has always been involved with the religious and spiritual use of essential oils, and have done a lot of research over the years, and and have a lot of experience in ceremonial use of essential oils. And that's, in essence, what my book is about, The Ancient Art of Anointing. And anointing heralds back thousands of years. The predominant uh, history of it comes from Egypt thousands of years ago. 
and the temples in Egypt along the Nile, and they used to practice these elaborate rites of passage involving essential oils and sound therapy and and hands-on healing work, and that's the basis of my work. Wow, that's that's so interesting. So could you explain to us what are essential oils and how are they made? Yes, I'm happy to. Essential oils are the volatile liquid compounds or substances that are found in most plants, flowers, trees, roots, grasses in the plant world. And not all plants contain essential oils, but a majority of them do. And they are, in essence, very much like the blood that runs through our bodies in that they contain hormones and they have messages of information and how to survive in the world for the plant. They tell the plant when to flower, when to grow, when to go dormant, when to die, when to go to seed. And all of that information is contained within the essential oil. And in order to make an essential oil, the majority of the oils go through a process called steam distillation. And there are a couple of other different processes that make essential oils, but the majority of them come from steam distillation. And I'll I'll just do a brief little description of what that is. Uh, You take a still, which is a large metal container or vat, usually made out of copper or stainless steel, And inside that large vessel, you'd find a screen that sits about three-quarters of the way down towards the bottom of the, the still. And you put your plant material on top of that screen, and underneath it, you fill it with water, and then you put a source of heat underneath your still. And as the heat begins to boil the water, the steam rises up through the plant and captures all the essential oil from the plant as it begins to break down from the heat and the steam. And it carries it up to the top of the still, and attached to the top of the still is a spiraling metal tube called a condenser. And the steam travels through that condenser, And it deposits itself, the steam deposits itself into a container or a vessel. And the water collects in that vessel, and after some time, the oil rises to the top of the water, and you skim that oil off, and that's your essential oil. Hmm. Do you make your own essential oils? I have made my own essential oils, but... I'm really a beginner in the world of distillation. That's that's one of the things that I'm studying right now. And it is an incredible art and very complicated. And every plant needs very specific exacting requirements in order to capture the live molecules of the plants. And it's a science that's passed down from master to apprentice and and they're very exacting formulas for all the different oils and the plants that that they're made from. And it's a lifetime study, and it's Mm -hmm. something that I'm just venturing into now and have been studying over the last 10 years or so. But I have not ventured into it deeply enough to have a full understanding of how to make all of my oils at this point in time. But it's coming in my future. 
Oh, without a doubt, just based on your your description. I mean, when when you're actually distilling this, how long does that whole process take to extract the actual oil from the from the plants? It depends upon the plant. Lavender generally takes about an hour and a half to get the oil out of the plant material. Some some plants such as blue chamomile takes about 12 hours. And it's all very different. Frankincense takes a little longer because it's it comes from a resin. When they make frankincense, they go out and they score the trunks of the trees, and the resin seeps out and forms what are called tears. And those resin tears harden up, and they're real hard, resiny pieces of the sap. And you steam distill that, and it takes a long time to get through the resin to get the oil out of that. So. Every plant's very different in the times that it takes to distill and also the pressure that it takes because the steam builds up and there's a certain amount of pressure, the pounds per square inch of pressure. That's all variable as well depending upon the plant. So it's a really extensive and complicated art. It sounds it, my gosh. Um, well, can you explain to us a little bit about the alchemy of essential oils and how they actually affect the body, mind, and emotions? Yes, I can. The essential oils are made up of a lot of different chemical constituents. Some plants, some essential oils have over 300 chemical constituents to the oil. And those constituents are things like antiviral properties, antibacterial properties. Some of them have very strong hormone balancing properties, antiseptic properties, analgesic properties, anti-inflammatory properties. Some of them have great expectorant properties and are great oils to use for respiratory conditions. And depending upon the oil, you find all these different combinations of of chemical constituents, and they affect us in varying different ways, the first of which is through the olfactory system. And as we inhale a fragrance, I'm sure all of our listeners have had the experience where they inhale a certain fragrance and a memory comes back. They remember something from their childhood. For example, for me, when I smell freshly cut grass, I immediately go back to my childhood when I used to play on freshly cut grass all the time, and it's a very happy memory for me. Mm-hmm. But I've taught many workshops where I've had people start to smell oils, and they remember their grandmother who had, they haven't thought about for years, or they remember a cake that their mom used to make that they haven't thought about since they were little kids, or their first love. And, and there's a very interesting phenomenon that happens when we inhale essential oils, and that is that there are glands in the brain that store memory, and the only way to access them is through the sense of smell. So from the moment you start to inhale an essential oil, it begins to have effects on you through memory. It also starts to trigger different hormones just through the the sense of smell. So we're already starting to alter the way we are just from smelling essential oils. And then when we start to apply them on the body, because the plant molecules are small enough to penetrate from the epidermis into the dermis layer, and they then start to affect 
the live tissues of the body. So we start to feel it in the nerves. We'll st- feel some tingling or or some of the anti-inflammatories will start to feel the muscles starting to relax or start to feel some hot, cold sensations. And then we know that the oils have actually penetrated into the bloodstream and they start to affect us on different levels depending upon the different constituents of the oils. And then on an emotional level, the sense of smell is also affecting our emotions because the glands in the brain that that trigger emotions are also affected through the olfactory system. So we start to affect a lot of different components of who we are and how we function in the world by the various applications and inhalations of essential oils. And that's kind of the alchemy of essential oils and how they work. Wow, that's amazing. Um, You know, looking at your website, Allison, obviously a a big part of what you do is this anointing ritual. Could you tell us uh, really what anointing is and how you actually create these anointing ceremonies and rituals? Yes, I'm happy to. When you anoint somebody, you're taking an essential oil or a combination of essential oils and creating a blend or an aromatic formula that you then use in ceremony or ritual, and it involves taking that blend of oils or a specific oil and rubbing it onto a part of the body, whether it be the heart or the crown of the head or the third eye, that intuitive part of our of our uh, energy centers, which sits between the eyebrows, and you rub the oil onto those specific areas. And when you do that, with it, particularly with intention, you are consecrating that person or yourself or that thing that you're you're anointing. And when you consecrate something, you're making or declaring it sacred and divine. And so you can create very simple anointing ceremonies or the more elaborate rites of passage that I perform here. Um, and it, it depends on what the experience is. I've, I've done weddings. I've done marriage blessings. I've blessed babies, baptisms. I've done last rites. I've done group blessings. And then I also do my elaborate rite of passage work as well. Are there specific parts of the body that you um, that you use for certain anointings, or is that just you know like a gut feeling based on what you're feeling or picking up about a particular situation? Yeah, well, in my book, The Sacred Art of Anointing, I go into quite a bit of detail as to which part of the body you would want to anoint. With, with which particular oils, depending on behaviors or issues that you're working through or goals and objectives that you would like to achieve. And I go into quite a lot of detail about that in my book. But in the work that I do personally, it, it's become a very intuitive thing for me. And the oils talk to me, and they tell me where they want to go. And and I I work with a lot of guides and angels as well, and and they all work through me and tell me exactly what oils to use on what places of the body. And what I've found over the years from doing this work for so long 
is that the oils will awaken that intuitive part of ourselves, that that divine guidance that that we all have inside. The oils really are a great awakener for that. I have a question, uh, two questions. Um, first of all, that's the effect that the oils have on the people that are being anointed. But why would somebody, what would cause them to be anointed? Is it something that you would use to cure uh, malady or, uh, or, or what? What would be the impetus for me to go in and be anointed? People come to me when they're going through great transformation in their lives where they've okay. lost a loved one or they're releasing old trauma from their lives or old childhood memories that no longer serve them or parts of their ego and personality that they've been working on for a long time and are finally ready to really let go of and get out of the body once and for all. People find their way to me when they're when they're going through those great rites of passage and they're looking to instill a deeper awareness of their spirit or their soul or their divine divine selves. And do they, this is Julie, another co-host. Hi. Hi, Julie. <laughs> do they normally come for one appointment, or is it a series? How does it usually work? It's always different. It really depends on the individual. I've had people that have worked with me for a year, and I've seen them maybe six times during that year, and then I haven't ever seen them again. I've had people that have come for one session, and that's all they needed, and I've never seen them again. Then I have people that come every four or five years or whenever anything's really up for them. So it really depends on the individual. It depends on their practice, their background, their history, the issues they've been through in their lives. Everyone's so different about that. And and I've always said to my clients that they ask me, well, when should I come back? And And the soul always knows when it's time. Mm. And um, how did you get into it in the first place? It just interests me that there's so many different avenues of spirituality or healing, and this seems like a unique one that a lot of us haven't heard about. I was just wondering how you got into it. Well, I kind of got hit over the head with it, actually. I was taking an aromatherapy class about 25 years ago with Valerie Warwood, who's one of the world's leading aromatherapists, and... It's the first time I ever smelled pure frankincense in her class, and she was passing it around for everyone to smell. And and as I inhaled really deeply of the oil, all of a sudden I found myself at the foot of the cross, and I was watching Jesus be crucified. And I could see the faces of the disciples around me and feel their pain, and I could smell the smells of the desert and I was in the experience for a long enough time that when I came back into an awareness of being in the room, the woman who was seated next to me had her hand on my arm, and she looked over at me, and she said, Are you okay? And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I want to do anointing work. And she looked at me, and she said, What is that? And I said, I have really have no idea, and I don't even know why I said that. Hmm. And so I bought some frankincense oil from Valerie and I started to anoint myself put it on my third eye and the crown of my head before my meditations and I would go into meditation and I would have these incredible visions where I would 
see myself back in Egypt thousands of years ago, and I was in a temple with the priestesses, which I came to find out later was the temple of Dendara. And they showed me how to do this work. They showed me the oils. They showed me how they would tone and sing into the body, and they would put crystals on the body, and they showed me the chambers, and they gave me the information about it, and, and that's that's kind of how it showed up for me. And I started to do lots of research about it, and and I couldn't find anything written about it at all. So I started to lay people on the table and practice it and watched miracles happen. <laughs> um, I'd like to actually go a little bit further in depth in the uh, in what you just said about the, the temple that you later found out. How did you find out that that, that was a specific place? Well, serendipity kind of led me to excuse me, my my little dogs wanting to talk to talk to everybody <laughs> this evening. That's okay. Tell them <laughs> hello. Um, <clears throat> I I ended up taking a few more classes and doing research, and and it led me to the Temple of Dendara, and and got to see the hieroglyphics on the temple walls and their ceremonies, and it was basically what I would see in my visions and. You know, couldn't it, this is uh, Dr. Cirillo, couldn't it be that some somewhere stuck in your brain, like let's say when you were in fourth grade, you were learning about the temple, that uh, there was a certain scent in the air at, in, in the classroom, and that when you smelled that scent again, that that brought up all the memories of what you had learned in history, the same way you say the uh, smell of lavender or something could bring up a cake or, or a home or you know, that it's popped in the same uh, spot in the brain. That's very, it's, that's exactly what happens. And wow. and it's very interesting because frankincense is an oil that has been, well, actually it's an incense that's been burned in the churches for thousands of years to consecrate the the churches before people come in for sermons and services and they have discovered that frankincense has psychoactive properties to it, and it actually does induce a change in our psyche and allows a deeper connection into to source or God or the divine or whatever you'd like to call it. So that's very true. You know, one question that I have um, is, I assume, Allison, that, that the people have to be, you know, in person with you. Is there any way you could do any of this work remotely? I've never anointed anyone remotely. I think that you need to have the fragrance come into your olfactory system in order to have an emotional release or a spiritual awakening, and I think that the oils need to go on the body and and affect you from a molecular level as well. So uh, while I could send great intention and and imagery through meditation and work with somebody on that level, the oils really are are really a magical part of it. I was wondering if a person could be anointing themselves somehow, you know, based on your direction and through your intent and whatever the religious part or the sacred part of the ceremony is if it would have, you know, the same or any sort of impact. Absolutely. 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 That would be interesting because we're here on the East Coast and you're on the West Coast, and I find this fascinating. I think Following that... that, um, Go ahead. 
No, no, you please. Go on. Well, I think that any time we intend to work with the divine and the sacred and we put that with in combination with essential oils and we begin to anoint ourselves or our loved ones, I think that anyone has the power to do anointing and to have the transformational experiences occur that I do. I, I think that we're all gifted with those skills and those abilities, and it just takes starting to do it. Frank, did you have a question? That was actually my question. If oh, there okay. was something If there's something special or specific about certain people over other people, uh, say like more in tune with something, like we've had people on the show in the past that have stated that they have gifts where they're the only ones who can heal in a certain way or delete certain things and such. So this is something <laughs> that's accessible to everyone. I don't believe that anybody's better or or more gifted than anyone else. I think that it's just an awareness of those gifts and developing those gifts. I think that's all it is. Um, and I actually have a question both for, for Dr. Cirillo and for you, Allison. Um, how does the uh, how does the actually the olfactory sense affect memories? How does that process actually work? <laughs> Well, it's it's a real scientific process, but in a nutshell, the gland that stores memory is in the brain, and the olfactory system, the limbic system, is attached to it. And so the moment the fragrance comes up into the nostrils, it goes into the limbic system, and it saturates the that part of the brain. And so everything in that part of the brain that's associated to the olfactory system is affected by the sense of smell. Hmm. It's interesting. What happens but... is whenever you're learning something, the cues around, whether it's uh, olfactory or, or verbal or, or uh, you know, like if you learn something in a sunny room, you recall it better in a sunny room. The more cues there are, the, the, the better it gets stored into your memory, the more it's hooked into. So if it gets hooked into that particular smell and then 10 years later you smell that thing, it comes up. That's true. And they, they, there's also a lot of great studies, too, about how aroma affects our ability to retain information. It affects our shopping, our desire to spend. It affects us in a lot of different ways, our behavior and our emotions. And and they've actually found that inhaling certain oils while you're studying, and I think it's rosemary and peppermint that you use when you're studying, has actually increased the ability to test higher on tests by something like wow. 53%. It's pretty wow. dramatic. And they wow, use, that's good to know. Yeah, they use essential oils in factories in Japan, and they can increase their productivity, almost double their productivity by diffusing essential oils into factories. There's, there's some really great research and science behind it. Wow. There's, I've heard a lot about the different, uh, different like, subversive uses of, uh, of, of aromas in various places where in a wrestling arena there's a certain type of musk that they put to get for aggression so people get more amped up. Uh, in there, there's some sort of link to how the smell of pumpkin pie causes arousal in people, especially <laughs> men. Uh, and there are things that you wouldn't think of. Or like, wow. I, I, 
yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. very true. Actually, they did a they did a study. There's a place up in Chicago, the Monell Taste and Smell Institute, and they did a study to determine <laughs> what the the best fragrances were to arouse sexuality in men and women, and and in men it was vanilla and cinnamon. The pumpkin pie. Oh, <laughs> they, wow. they make pheromone uh, colognes out, out of those smells. Yes, exactly right. That's why fall is my favorite season, probably. <laughs> the way to a man's heart. <laughs> wow. I thought it was barbecue ribs. It's just pork and pumpkin pie. Cinnamon <laughs> buns. <laughs> Allison, well. do you happen to know if they're starting to use the aromatherapy or the scented oils in any sort of Real medical cases, for example, our switchboard operator, Rachel, has been wondering about Alzheimer's since it affects the memory, obviously. Yes. Do you know anything about that? Yes, I do. They're, they're having some – we're really starting to see a lot of great breakthroughs come through around the science of essential oils and how they affect us, and they're starting to, to use – things like lavender and rosemary on Alzheimer's patients, and they're having a tremendous amount of luck with calming the agitation that happens in Alzheimer's. And I have an aunt who's actually, I'm a caretaker for, and she's gone into pretty severe dementia due to advanced stages of Parkinson's. And I go in, I've made her a specific blend, and I go in and I rub it on the back of her neck and on the crown of her head, and I always make sure I rub some on her face so she can smell it. And it totally grounds her and brings her into the present moment. I can have a coherent conversation with her, and and she recognizes me. So I've been watching it happen, and I'm also reading a lot of studies about it, too. They're just really starting to do research about that now. But they're also doing some really great things that with uh, cancer patients who are going through chemotherapy for calming the the body and relieving some of the burnings from radiation. The people that are going through chemotherapy and radiation, they're using lavender and orange a lot to help them, their mental states to calm and sedate them. And there's some great things that are being done with essential oils in the medical world right now. And one of the greatest things that's just, just been discovered or actually the study's just been released this year, is around frankincense. And it came out in uh, BBC News in the U.K. this year, and they've discovered that frankincense has the ability to uh, reverse the DNA of cancer cells and turn them into healthy cells. Oh, my God. That's one of my favorite scents, frankincense. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful fragrance. Yes, it is. Wow. That's amazing. And obviously there's a lot going on with with health with the essential oils. What about anointing for love and abundance and, you know, some of the everyday things that all of us are usually in need of one time or another in our lifetimes? Absolutely. It's a a very powerful way to invoke more of that into our lives. The essential oils that have traditionally been used to invoke love in our lives, of course, are, are rose oil. Mm-hmm. which is one of the most expensive oils, but it, it is the symbol of love and has been the symbol of love for a long, long time. And there's been a lot of studies done about the frequency of that oil and how it really raises the frequency and takes you into this relaxed, open-hearted state and and a joyous, happy state and has been used as an aphrodisiac for for 
it, it, there's lots and lots of reports about that. Cleopatra was was always really big in anointing herself and perfuming herself. She she mm-hmm. kind of started the whole craze of perfume. Mm-hmm. And rose oil rose oil has been used as the base of perfumes for a long, long time as an attractant for love. And the more you anoint yourself with it, the more you go into that state of love and that open-hearted state, and, and that's what attracts it. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, that's so much what I teach as far as the law of attraction. And that's amazing. Just by anointing yourself with, with rose oil, for instance, and creating that essence of love within yourself, obviously you'll start creating it and right. drawing that in. Oh, I love it. Right. Yeah, you know what's so great about that is the way that you're describing it is opening the love in yourself. It's not one of those artificial, oh, put on the pheromones and you'll attract the opposite sex. This is all about internally opening your your heart and yourself with the with the oils and and then attracting the like, which is really cool. But, Absolutely. Absolutely. But Allison, what are actually what are the properties of these essential oils that actually induce the relaxation, the happiness, the love? How does that work? Well, it's back to what we were talking about earlier. It's the chemical constituents inside the in, the the uh, individual essential oils. So, lavender, for example, has anti-inflammatory properties. It has analgesic properties. It has sedating properties. It has. It also has all the antiviral, antibacterial, anti-infectious properties as well. So it has these calming, sedating properties to it. And as soon as you smell it, you feel that. It starts to calm and balance the emotions in the body. And then as soon as you put it on the body, it starts to work inside once it gets into the the uh, dermis layer of the skin and the blood, it starts to calm the nerves, calm the central nervous system. So that that's kind of in a nutshell how it works. Hmm. So when somebody goes onto your website, what what kind of services do you actually offer to somebody? I teach workshops and I travel around the country teaching workshops. Uh, anyone who wants to sponsor me to come, I'm always open to going new places to teach. And I also create custom heart scent oils, which are custom blended for each individual, depending upon a large questionnaire that they fill out and a little bit of dialogue between us. And then I go into meditation with the answers and and create a specific blend to help people move through whatever's going on in their lives. And I also have five different essential oil blends, anointing blends that I've created. One is called love, one is called abundance, one is called meditation, and then I have a couple of uh, more health-oriented oils. One is for the respiratory system and one is for anti-inflammatory properties. I call it Real Ease, and it's for aches and pains in the body. Wow. Now, do these essential oils work on pets? They do. They um, Pets are very, very sensitive to oils, so you have to use very dilute 
portions of them. Mm-hmm. Like with my dogs, I use lavender on my dogs during the hot season when they're, they get flea bites and they get little reactions and hot spots. I'll put a little drop of lavender on the spot and it'll heal it overnight. So I use it in very dilute quantities. Um, which, I mean, we have a lot of pet lovers here, so that, <laughs> that when you yes, said the respiratory do. and the anti-inflammatory, I'm going to look at your website because I think Destiny, Destiny needs both of those. And um, I'm sure she'd appreciate the nice smells rather than the acupuncture needles. <laughs> right, because she gets that every week, too. And now, now she goes for laser treatments, too. So, no, um, I will say that my dogs do not like the smell because their sense of smell, of course, is 500 times stronger than ours. Right. So. I always dilute it in the palm of my hand first, and then from there I'll dip my finger in and rub just a drop on them. And they'll run like crazy, and they'll hate me for a moment or two, but then it always makes them feel so much better. So, Wow, that's wow. great. That's yeah, great. So, so I know you mentioned before about your book, The Sacred Art of Anointing. Um, you know, is there anything else that you could tell us about it, about your book? My book is really based on the years of doing this work and watching the miraculous things that happen for all of my clients and my loved ones doing the anointing. And I recognize that the anointing is an incredible tool to awaken consciousness and to bring us into a state of balance and harmony in our lives. And I realize that there needs to be more people doing this work or doing it to ourselves and using the oils because they're incredible tools to keep us sane in an insane world. (laughs) So I wrote the book with the intention of educating people about anointing and oils and how to create their own rites and ceremonies and rituals so that we can stay as calm and as peaceful and in as high and happy state as possible in this this wild world we're in. Well, that's true. Um, Allison, how can the listeners get in touch with you? They can find me on my website. There's a contact page where they can email me, and um, and we can communicate via email. I also have a Facebook page, a Romancing the Divine Facebook page, and I have a blog and Twitter account, and I'm always writing. I send out a monthly newsletter so people can email me from my website and sign up for my newsletter, and I'm always writing about oils and all the latest studies and all the studies that I talked about, uh, the, the study about frankincense and some of the other more fascinating ones that are coming out now I post on Facebook as a, as a venue of education for people. Well, I, I'm fascinated by this. I think it's absolutely awesome. I love the name of your website as well, you know, Romancing the Divine. I think it's absolutely incredible. And, Allison, we thank you so very much for being here. This was really so informative and truly different than, than what I was anticipating. Well, thank you so much for having me. I always love talking about it any chance I get. Oh, well, without a doubt, we'd love to have you back sometime in the future. And one thing, is your book available on Amazon? Yes, it is. Great, great. Um, We would definitely love to learn more. We definitely want to talk about having you back in the future. But for those listeners who want to get in touch with Allison, please visit her website at www.romancingthedivine.com. Thank you, Allison. Thank you so much. Have a great night, everyone. Thank you. You too. Thank you. you Bye-bye.
And for those of you who want a reading or a coaching session with Lady Fontaine, please visit her at ladyfontaine.com. That's ladyfontaine, no spaces, dot com. And now it's time for the mailbag question of the day. Ladies, are you ready? Yes, sir. Oh, can't wait. All right. Those are always so exciting. First one, dear Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo. I need some guidance on how to let go and forget a man who is not good for me. He keeps coming back. I know you'll say I let him back in. She says that in parentheses for you probably, Joe. (laughs) And in the past, I kept taking him back. But even when he was back in my life, quote-unquote, it was short-lived, and he gave me a gave a minimum to me. Wow, I thought I was reading that wrong. He gave a minimum to me both emotionally and time-wise. I have reached the end of my rope with him and want to walk away and forget him. How do I do that? I've tried ignoring him. I've tried telling him to leave me alone, but he keeps coming back. I need help. This is driving me insane. We have had a not-and-off relationship for over 10 years. Wow. And she does, she does provide a name, Mandy, or heartbroken in Washington, D.C. Wow. Um, uh, Dr. Cirillo, you want to go first with this one? Well, obviously, Mandy may not like what he's doing, but on some level, she's comfortable with a person who's not around bothering her all the time, who comes in and out. He's been that way for 10 years, so he's like a steady friend, uh, now, when she's saying leave her alone and all that, I'm not clear on whether, maybe you can tell psychically because we don't have her on the line, but I'm not clear on whether she would love it if he was there more and she's complaining about that or if she really doesn't like the guy but just feels sorry for him or has somebody to talk to as a friend once in a while and and, and that she, you know, she uh, doesn't want him around at all. But when he calls, she takes the calls and gets sucked back in. Would she well, like him? Do you think she would like him if, if he was around all the time? Well, all I do committed. feel she likes this guy, and I do feel that she would like him to be more attentive towards her. But you bring up a, a really an outstanding point. I mean, this relationship has been on and off for over 10 years, so it has to serve her in some way. Otherwise, it would have ended a very long time ago. Exactly. So maybe whether she admits it to herself and to us or not, this is exactly the way she wants it. Sometimes you get exactly what you want, and uh, you just don't see it that way. Mm. Well, we always get exactly what we're radiating at. Otherwise, I mean, that's the way the law of attraction works. Otherwise, if she really truly was open to um, having more in a relationship, she would have more. But, you know, I, I and she's right that I would, jump in and say that she does keep letting this guy in. I mean, if she's really serious about closing doors and letting go, the way to let go isn't just letting go when you don't hear from him. It's letting it's it's making a decision, you know, changing your intent to be I'm not putting up with this anymore and truly let it go. And this way, you know, block his number, you know, um block him on email if you're serious about letting go of the relationship, you don't keep on letting the person in. So the place that I feel, the place that um, she needs to go to really let go is within herself. What about also if she would fill the gap, I sense a real big gap, if she would fill it with either another person or other activities? 
activities and vital interests and hobbies, she wouldn't be so available when he called, and it really would be an annoyance, and she would forget to return his call, or, you know, she would communicate that she had other things to do, and I think naturally she'd find a way to get rid of them, that it would well, just fall into place. Well, and that's actually something I wanted to talk to you about, because you mentioned something very similar a few weeks ago, and I feel it's incredible advice. And that's not to just sit around doing nothing and wait for the phone to ring, but to start creating activities. I mean, Dr. Cirillo, could you talk about that a little bit? Because I really feel that that's an imperative part of what so many people are not doing in relationships. They're sort of putting their life on hold instead of living. Yeah, well, the thing is, you know, first of all, if you're single, if you don't have anybody, I've had women come to me, a lot of New York City single women, and their entire discussion is meet somebody, meet somebody, where do I meet somebody, how do I meet somebody, what do I do when I meet somebody? And I think, you know, if and when you ever meet this fantastic person, what are you going to talk to them about? You have no interest. The only thing you think about is meet somebody. Now, that's for a single person, but the same thing applies even if you've been married for years and you really love the person, and you say, well, this relationship is boring, he doesn't seem to love me enough, we don't want to do the same things, that sometimes you expect too much from a partner or a relationship or a marriage. You expect this other person to gratify all your needs. Why not say this person can gratify my needs here, there, and everywhere, but he or she doesn't want to go shopping or they don't want to go fishing or in the boat or something. So I'll have to find men friends or women friends or friends or somebody else that shares my interests. It's okay to have a lover that doesn't share all your interests. And and you look for other ways of gratification. You can't expect everything from a person or a relationship. And and a lot of people don't get that. They feel that this person is going to gratify their every need in every way, and it never happens. You're always disappointed if that's how you see things. Right, and and when, when somebody does see things that way, it, it just seems like they don't seek out anything outside of their partner to give them any, you know, any pleasure or any, you know, just occupy their time. You know, it's just that they get tunnel vision on somehow having their partner um, fulfill all their needs. And you brought this up a couple of weeks ago, Dr. Cirillo, and I really feel it's imperative. It's a, it's a, such an important message to get out to people um, in relationships, both men and women. I mean, it isn't a, really about their partner. It's about really developing the, their, themselves into being full human beings, you know, that have interests and active lives. I mean, how appealing is it going to be to anybody if somebody, you know, if, if all they have to offer is that they want to be with somebody and like everything that they like, you know, that the, the partner likes? Or that they want the partner to like everything they like, and suddenly the partner is going to either come up with all these wonderful ideas or want to automatically do everything that they do. So I think I think I brought this up in the context of a woman who said that she was tired of her husband because mm. he just sat around the house and he was boring, and we got the idea that he might be a bit depressed. But aside from that, if he doesn't want to go out, find friends to do things with, find other family members. It might not be that easy because your partner is the one who's there, but the more things you find before you know what the person might want to join you. 
But if not, you know, that's okay, too. You don't have to do everything together. So from a from a um, psychologist's point of view, though, when is a relationship then working or not working, um, you know, if another person has to occupy themselves to get any fulfillment in a relationship, when is it really off balance? And well, not- if you have to go to another person for love, intimacy, sex, uh, you know, if the other person is, is gratifying needs that really should be satisfied by, by a one person if you're in a monogamous relationship. Now, even there, some people have open relationships, but if you feel that you can't share anything with this person that you've just totally drifted apart, then you can either decide to live as roommates for convenience, for money, for the kids, or you can look for some somebody with more in common with you. But very often when a person says, I'm bored, it's because they've also become a boring person and, you know, they're constantly nagging at this person, let's go out, let's go out. And he's saying, oh, I don't feel like going out. And Or it could work the other way too. And, you know, they, you're not getting anywhere. You're just getting more of, of the negative that you're projecting. You're getting more of, of not going out or more of being bored. But sometimes if you say, you know, I have this planned with uh, friends on Tuesday and Wednesday and I'm going to see my family this time. And, you know, it's not so bad if if, if the other partner doesn't always want to do things with you. Mm-hmm. And you really said it that, you know, if they're bored in a relationship, oftentimes they become boring themselves. So, you know, that's, that's I feel, a very, very important, you know, tip or, or awareness that people should have in relationships and also to realize that they should not rely t- totally on their partner to fulfill all their needs. Um, right. And if he or she doesn't want to do everything you do, that doesn't mean they don't love you. Like one woman was married to a man who always loved to go shopping and help her pick out clothes. Mm. And then he died and she got, got a boyfriend and she was telling her kids, you know, he won't go shopping with me. Mm-hmm. And her daughter said, look, you need, you need a female friend to do that. Right. You know, your husband, your daddy just happened to like that. But most people don't if they're men. And, you know, just accept that. <laughs> Well, I think that, that was, this was a very interesting question. It really, really was. I believe we have some other mailbag questions tonight. Um, Actually, yes. Um, Frank, do you have time to read it? or? or? Absolutely. Okay, Here thank you. All right. His first question, dear Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo, over the past two decades I have repeated a pattern, and each repetition is more painful than the last. I've been involved with men in extremely abusive relationships, and most often in relationships where the man exerts control over me because I cannot afford to leave or support myself. Each relationship has ended badly, and each time I left with less and less. The most recent relationship has piled, has me piled in a mountain of debt, debt to him that I may not be able to pay off in this lifetime. Gerald and I are not lovers anymore and have not been intimately involved for a long time. He has always come through when I am deeply in need of money, and I'm very deeply grateful to him for the financial help he's given me. Despite his help, I'm not financially independent. I have yet to sustain myself on my own for more than a few months at a time. Each time, asking for his help gets worse. He's controlling and extremely verbally and emotionally abusive to me. 
and each time it takes a toll on me to allow him to batter me like he does. In each of the past relationships, the abuses varied from emotional to physical to verbal, but each of them had a financial abuse component. I've heard Lady Fontaine talk about our built-in GPS, and I know I've been way off the path with these relationships. In my heart, I love Gerald and miss what once was, and I'm grateful to Gerald for his financial help. Even as desperate as my financial straits have been, I've tolerated his abuses to survive. I'm again faced with the possibility that I may need his help once again, but I'm just not able to handle the verbal and emotional abuse. What should I do? And her name is Myra in New Orleans. Um, Dr. Cirillo, you want to go first, and then I'll give my impressions on this. Well, first I would find out why Myra is not and can't be financially independent. I mean, that's the real core that uh, she has to depend on someone else, and it doesn't sound like she comes from a very supportive family. So she's finding people that are willing to uh, pay to have somebody that can be like a doormat, and and that's that's her job, believe it or not. Now, why she doesn't find something else... uh, I don't know. I think that's that's the real issue, and and that that will solve this is, or or find a more committed relationship with a better man who's happy to have a woman take care of him and and uh, support her. But a lot of times, when you come from a family where there's not a lot of support, you tend to fall into that role where you uh, are always just barely making it hanging on to someone. She's got to break out of that, maybe go for some rehab. You know, every city and state during the economy, they have, like, employment rehabs, retraining, where the, the city, the state will pay for it for a couple of years for you to develop a skill and get, like, an internship and a job. And even if she just has a little something and needs somebody else to help, that's better. She could even have a female roommate to split rent with. You know, there are other alternatives. Well, do you have any suggestions from a psychological standpoint as far as how she can break the cycle, the cycle of abuse? That's that's what's concerning me through, throughout all of this. I mean, she, she talked about verbal abuse, physical abuse, and this financial abuse. Uh, you know, I mean, I have my feelings on things, but I'd like to hear your take. I, I think the big thing is that, that she's, she's somebody from a family that was probably pretty much the same as these guys. Uh-huh. where there was dependency, there was abuse, and for whatever reason, maybe the mother had her and a bunch of other kids and couldn't leave and couldn't support them, and they didn't really have grandparents that could do anything. So it was kind of like, you know, you live with somebody, they abuse you, you don't like it, but that's the way life is. She got used to it. She communicates low self-esteem, uh-huh. low skills, low ability to take care of herself and that she's better off hooking up with this person than being on the street. When there are other people that that might uh, find a woman who has kids and, you know, you stay home and babysit for the kids and she pays, you split the rent or there's so many other financial options and, and you don't have to tolerate abuse. You're better off tolerating a little bit of poverty or dependency on on the state or the welfare system temporarily to get back on your feet, which is why I'm talking about retraining. And they have a lot of that now with the, with the massive unemployment. 
Yeah, I can imagine that they do. And, you know, I I agree with pretty much what you said, Dr. Cirillo. I guess my only concern here, or my only real take on this that I didn't hear you say, is that um, she's going to continue to uh, have this pattern until she decides to do something a different way. And, you know, it's like I, what, I, what I heard when Frank read that, that letter is so much of, um, you know, a, a dependency on that, on that gentleman for, for bailing her out, but at a very high cost for her to be able, you know, to, to take his controlling ways and his abusive attitude and whatever else he's dishing out to her. So That's why I, I'm suggesting she find the state or, or disinterested uh, outside agency to depend on for a while. So Rather would you than say, him find find anything else, and 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 it doesn't sound like she can go to a family or anybody close by. No, it doesn't sound because I think she would be going to somebody else rather than going to him. Um, but you know, I always feel that these situations are that we're drawing in these situations into our life to sort of give us the opportunity to to learn something. So the more she continues with this pattern of. Um, going to him for help, I feel the more she gets locked into it. But I, oh, I, I do so. agree. I mean, if there are if there are programs out there that could help her, uh, you know, that would be the the ideal short term solution to stop the dependency on on this this man. Yeah, look, I knew one woman who said she had to work as a call girl because she had a couple of kids on her own and couldn't get child support. Now the reality is there are women who support themselves and their kids without working as prostitutes, without living with uh, abusive men. Uh, I don't know what her potential is to work as a waitress, a babysitter. You know, there are plenty of jobs requiring different levels of skill, and uh, certainly she could, uh, if she achieved some financial independence and then was going back in, then, you know, then it's something else that deep down inside this is, all she feels comfortable with or all she feels she deserves. But sometimes when you get back on your own financial feet and, and you're a separate person, first of all, you don't attract people that go towards vulnerability right. and weakness so this right. guy wouldn't be as drawn in. And then you, you somehow communicate that you don't have to tolerate it. I, yeah, I, I think, think she's in that position. Right. And, well, I think that that's good advice. Um, I know that we're having some switchboard problems tonight, so um, I, I don't know that the callers yeah. are getting through. So I had a lot of trouble getting through myself. All right. So, so you know, we apologize if if there are callers that have been trying to get through. Um, we're going to do another mailbag question because, for whatever reason, either callers are being dropped or they're actually not coming through. So we will report this to Blog Talk Radio, and we encourage you to give us a call back next week. But I believe there is one more mailbag question for us. Julie? Uh, Julie? Julie? Um, Julie? Julie's doing a oh, wait. For some reason, she's muted here. Julie, are you there? I am. Okay, so do you have another mailbag question for us? I do. I was trying to uh, to not be muted, and as you said, there are switchboard problems. And yeah, I think there's that might a lot have been of problems. Problem. Yeah, there's stuff <laughs> going on. So we're we're limping along here, trying to do the best that we can. Well, I'm glad that I'm unmuted. I do have a letter for you. Good, dear Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo. In November of 2008, my job let me go because I had continual and recurring health issues that interfered with my ability to work. Since then, my health issues have been resolved. 
Though I have my own business and have minimal income, this position was a dream job in terms of both challenging work and salary. Several times recently, the position has become available and been advertised. Today, the position was again advertised. I saw it and decided to take a chance and email my former supervisor asking if he would consider me for the position. The email to my former supervisor bounced back to me. I do not know if he is no longer with the company, had my email address blocked, or has a new corporate email address within the company. At any rate, I reviewed the ad and contacted the HR representative about the position. The HR rep remembered me and emailed me back immediately. She forwarded my query to the hiring recruiter and asked that I contact the recruiter and forward a copy of my resume. I did and later heard back from the recruiter that my resume was presented to the hiring managers and she would call if the managers were interested. I don't want to get my hopes up, but I would love to go back to work in this position with this company. Does reemployment with this firm look positive for me? Is there any other advice you can give me? Thanks, Randy, Webster, Texas. Mm. Well, let me say one thing that I I personally do not feel that 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 the supervisor is still with the company or in that position. Um, so I'm not sure if that's going to play as a positive or a negative for for Randy in 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 this particular situation. But I'm feeling what I kind of want to say. Um, receptive. I'm feeling receptivity from the company. I do feel a very strong potential for Randy to be seriously considered for this for this job. Um, being honest, when I say I'm not yet getting validation that um, he or she, I'm not sure if it's a man or a woman, is actually going to get this position. But what I am seeing is um, contacts, a lot of contacts coming out from this. So what my gut feeling is is that she's going to be, uh, she he or she is going to be very seriously considered for this particular position. And even if uh, Randy does not get the position, I do feel um, almost like a networking process that they're aware that she is looking for he or she is looking for employment, and I do feel an opportunity coming. Um, from this particular job interview or this particular opening um, really pretty soon for Randy. So it feels good to me. It actually feels very, very good, but I'm not yet getting confirmation that the job that you're applying for is the job that you're going to end up getting. So, Just so you know, the Randy is with an I, so it is a woman. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a female. Okay. Um, Dr. Cirillo, do you have a take on this? Well, I'm thinking, you know, it depends whether the other supervisor, if he or she left a paper trail that uh, she was let go. Sometimes people are very reluctant to rehire unless you took a proper leave of absence for a good reason and then you're coming back. Uh, so I don't know, but if there's a whole new crew there, I think she has as good a shot because she certainly has the experience and has done the job. Mm. I would look for other things, too, at the same level. I, I agree with that. You know, one thing that I am picking up about this particular situation is that I honestly feel she did a very, she did a very good job. It, it feels to me that aside from the health issues and, and, you know, any lost, you know, time that, you know, caused them to, to release her or lay her off or whatever the dynamics were, um, it, kind of feels to me she was a valued employee. That's why I'm kind of feeling when they know that she's back on the market and she's ready to work that, um, you know, it in a way will play to their advantage. I mean, the one thing that you brought up, Dr. Cirillo, I'm sure HR has records, 
you know, if she was let go because of her attendance. And that could obviously be a detriment to her. But I'm feeling that her value is going to be in knowing the company, working for the company, knowing the people, knowing the culture of the company, and um, the quality of work that she did. All right. You know, let's hope. Certainly we're rooting for her in this difficult economy. So we, this is one that we definitely, Randy, keep us posted on it. We certainly do hope that you get it. But I do agree with Dr. Cirillo that, you know, keep your options open. Just, you know, don't just depend and, and focus on this one and don't get yourself into a state of wanting it because I think everybody who listens to this show knows already that when you want something, you end up keeping it away from you. Just go through the process of doing what you would do with um, any job interview and wait and see. It feels good. I do feel there's some opportunity here for you, but keep your options open. Those were great questions. Thank you so much for them. Remember, please send us your question at mailbag at ladyfontaine.com. Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo will be selecting a few questions each week to answer live on each show. Please be sure to ask a specific question. Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo don't answer general questions as mailbag questions, so please make them specific. Don't forget to visit Lady Fontaine's website at ladyfontaine.com to learn more about her or to schedule a private reading or life coaching session. Lady Fontaine is an internationally known psychic and life coach. You can also follow Lady Fontaine on Twitter, Facebook, and NING for her latest announcements. Also, please take a moment to make Eye on the Future a favorite here on Blog Talk Radio and send us a friend request to get special offers from Lady Fontaine. Please visit our show page on Blog Talk Radio for details on all of our co-hosts along with their contact information. Be sure to send your questions to mailbag at ladyfontaine.com to have your questions answered live on the air by Lady Fontaine and Dr. Cirillo. Thank you, Frank. Very interesting show. Well, we had we, some... yeah, we did have some great questions here tonight, didn't we? We did. It was great. Um, I just wanted to say that I thought that the, uh, besides the mailbag questions, of course, the Alice and her guest was amazing, something really unique and interesting. I know we all have heard about acupuncturists and obviously therapists and uh, even acupressure and energy healers, but I really hadn't heard a lot about the uh, the aromatherapy and the essential oils. So this was really interesting. It is. I'm actually going to pursue some, you know, some of her essential oils, um, or see if she would be willing to do a remote, you know, um, anointing ceremony with me. You could be the first one. That would be so cool. Oh, yeah. Then we could report how it worked out. That's great. Exactly. I like that idea. We'll talk to Allison about it tomorrow. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> we could expand her business for her. Yes. <laughs> so next week we have a very special guest. Boxing great Henry Omar is going to be with us. So don't miss it. Um, and I'm thinking about, I'll see if Mr. Omar is um, open to this, but I am thinking about giving him a few predictions here on the air as well. 
I'm sure he'll be open to that. That would be great. <laughs> so I want to thank you all for listening. Um, again, I apologize for any um, technical issues that some of the callers may have encountered when trying to call in. I'm not sure what's going on in the switchboard tonight, but callers were not getting through. Um, we love hearing from you guys, so we hope that you give us a call back next week. Again, we have boxing great Henry Omar that's going to be with us. And, of course, at the end of the show, Dr. Cirillo and I will be taking your calls. Um, thank you also to my co-hosts, Dr. Jean Cirillo, Frank Todaro, and Julie Zellman. Special thanks to Rachel Look, who did a great job screening calls and helping us with the switchboard tonight, even though we had a lot of problems. Many blessings to each of you, and I am in gratitude to all of you. Have a wonderful week, and remember to honor yourself, and you'll automatically draw in countless experiences that honor you. Paranormal enthusiasts, remember to tune into Frank Tadero's The Invisible World. Either call 718-508-9285 or check out the show page here on Blog Talk Radio for The Invisible World. And don't forget that on August 20th of this year, Friday, August 20th, The Invisible World live at The Tank in New York City. Um, Frank will be there, and I'll be there as well. Good night, everyone. Hope to see you back here next week, and remember to reclaim you. We are always here to honor and support you and provide you with all the guidance to help you aspire to all your dreams. Good night, all. <laughs>